Thanks for listening to this podcast, which is brought to you by Acast. Hello, my name is Ben Masson, and we are here at Huddle 2017. Huddle is Mindshare's flagship festival ideas, collaboration, and entrepreneurship. For one day, we shut down the agency and play host to a jam-packed agenda of 200 intimate and no-holds-barred discussions about the future. Now in its seventh year, Huddle 2017 will explore the future. Two years ago, we explored what it meant to be human in an increasingly digital age. Fast forward to 2017, and the exponential rate of technological change continues to reshape our humanity in deeply profound ways. This year, we're asking huddlers to look to the future and explore what it holds for humanity. That's a weighty set of topics to debate in uh, not a long period of time. With me, I have Ruth Zora, who's Head of Connections Planet at Mindshare. Hi, good afternoon. Jeremy Pounder, Futures Director at Mindshare, King of the Future. Hello, Ben. And Matt Andrews, uh, CSO, Chief Strategy Officer of Mindshare. Hello. So, first things first, let's get it out of the way quickly. Why was there so much sex? <laughs> sex robots, I think, is probably a more accurate description. Rather than sex, we don't want to give people entirely the wrong idea. Right. Um, but sex robots certainly were a prominent theme this year. If we were to count all of the huddles that featured sex robots, how many are we talking? I lost count of them. Everyone I, I talked to was I think in a about, different one. About four, I would say. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure if there are actually any actual robots brought in, but certainly the, the theme was discussed. I uh, saw a robot, really? a sex robot. Really? Well, Here or? No, just the head. Okay. They didn't bring the body because okay. they didn't want to bring it through customs. <laughs> um, and it had come all the way from Spain. Um, but it was the head of a sex robot. I can imagine a slightly disturbing side. Very disturbing. I mean, the thing about the sex robots, if I'm being honest, I was a bit disappointed with them. Why? Why well, were because, you disappointed? Because you know, we, 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 talk, we talk all the time about the massive advances in technology and artificial intelligence and so on and so forth. These are really just sex dolls that can talk to you. There's not much more to them than that at the moment. Now, maybe in the future, they might become sex robots, but really at this point in time... They are just sex dolls that talk back at you. They're chatbots. They're sex bots, if I, I'm being honest. I know what you mean. There's a sort of crudity to yeah. it. And I don't mean crudity as in crudite, the party food. <laughs> it's, um, it, it's still quite sleepy. You, you wouldn't dip one of these in hummus. <laughs> <laughs> no, Disinfectant, maybe. No, definitely not. But, I mean, sex robots clearly are a trend, aren't they? I mean, I'm not sure if they're a mainstream trend as of yet. Um, but the sex industry does tend to be pioneers in most technology, as we know. Um, and I think they are forging a, a path, whether we like it or not, um, that, is, that is coming in our direction. So for me it was interesting, because my, my, the session that I attended, was it didn't use the term sex robot in the title of the session. It actually used love, loving robots. And there was a lot of controversy as to whether these robots will ever get to that point where they can incite feelings. And, and they talked about some people uh, having a, a form of addiction to, to these, um, what were you calling them, sex dolls? Chatbots? Sex bots? Sex, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> any of the above. <laughs> you call them what you like, that's the point. Um, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and so essentially making us question what it is for us to be, to be humans and, and whether we have truly boiled that essence of being human uh, down to its core to be able to replicate it through um, artificial intelligence or, or robotics today. And I guess some of the leaders in this field are saying, no, we're absolutely crazy. 
Uh, we had some very interesting points of view from, from lecturers that are actually leading the charge there. So um, it, left, it left a lot of people thinking as to whether uh, we are where we think we are today in terms of these technologies or whether it's just more hype than reality. It's a really interesting point to be made there. Jeremy, I want to ask you, what do you think the all of the talk today about relationships, should we say, with artificial people, what does that say about human relationships? What does that say about the way that humanity is changing and evolving? Uh, I think there's an, an, an inevitability that we will look to try and form some form of relationship with um, whether it's an art, you know, an assistant, a voice assistant, or some other uh, type of artificially intelligent um, device, because they are doing or carrying out services for us, or or doing things for us um, that that ultimately, uh, to some extent, mimic what we would ha- otherwise have a have a human do. Um, and I think it's particularly when these assistants have you know more greater capability around personality. Um, and if we're talking about voice assistants, actually the, the very act of having a, a, a human-like voice, there's an inevitability that we will start to project personality onto these things um, and actually form a degree of relationship. Now, whether that ever gets to the stage where it's as deep as a relationship as you would have with the human uh, you know, kind of remains to be seen. But if you think that we have, to a degree, um, emotional feelings about other inanimate objects like you know cars for example or clothes you know people will actually get quite attached to these kind of things when you've got some sort of personality in in a uh, in an AI powered service then that's inevitably going to lead to stronger emotional response I think the thing that scares me a little bit because I heard a lot today that um, humans are fine about their relationships with machines whilst you're basically getting the machines you're in control Right, so everyone loves the idea. If you've got a machine that does all the cleaning or cleans your house, <laughs> makes your dinner for you, you know, or does all the menial tasks that you don't want to do at work, right? That's fine. But I was in a huddle which was uh, featured the writers of Humans, the Channel Four series, now in its third series, uh, available for sponsorship. Um, and um, what was kind of interesting about that is they were projecting forward and saying, well, what about at that moment when actually the machines now have the control, right? And they're controlling us. So they told this great anecdote from the series of when <clears throat> the teenage boy in the, the main family in humans goes for career advice and the career advisor is a robot. And the robot's basically telling him, these are all the jobs that are now available for you, <laughs> discounting all the jobs that robots are doing. So I kind of guess bringing it back to sex robots, at the moment sex ro- robots are these machines that do things we want them to do. But I kind of guess I start to feel a bit uncomfortable when they're actually getting us to do things they want us to do. Mm. That was a really interesting point that came up in um, a very fine huddle uh, hosted by Acast, the providers of this podcast, in fact, um, who talked about sex robots, dolls, bots, all of the above. And they, uh, there was a psychologist there who said that you have to understand that if you own a sex robot, then that's not a meaningful human relationship because it's essentially, if you can switch it on and switch it off and you can, it, it's there to fulfill certain needs, shall we say, then it's effectively a slave. It's, it's not a relationship where you and it are equals. And that's quite problematic because that will encourage certain types of behavior of tr- 
objectifying or treating members of the opposite sex in that way, does that pose any problems for us as a, you know, as a, as a species, Ruta? For me, what, what is fascinating about that is it's not necessarily... So the power dynamic between machines and humans is fascinating insofar as it starts transforming us and how we interact with each other. And I think for me, one of the things that, that has really um, stayed uh, in terms of, of the research I've read is how for children, you know, for whom um, certain behaviors haven't really been embedded and they're starting to have these interactions where perhaps you don't have to say please or thank you to an Alexa or a Google Home, how does that then affect the way in which they relate to uh, people? Do they have the same ability to recognize that they should be behaving differently vis-a-vis a human being as opposed to a machine, yes or no? What does that then mean to the way in which we interact? You know, Are we going to have the same type of, of conversations when a vast majority of our language is developed through these type of basic command-like interactions with a machine? Um, that is going to start changing the way in which we are wired. Our brains are wired and the way in which we communicate. And that I find absolutely fascinating. Um, in some ways, you could say terrifying. And I think getting back to your question, you know, those behaviors right now we're talking about in the context of, of sex robots, but it could actually start moving us into a lot of areas of our life, you know, to the fact that um, as, a, as a very simple example, you know, Growing up, we knew the phone numbers of our key friends, of our parents, etc. I can count on one hand the number of phone numbers that most people on average remember, sometimes not even your own phone number, right? So it is changing the way in which we use our brains. Um, what are the new skills that we're going to discover off of that still remains to be, to be defined. Um, so I'm curious about that. It wasn't all just talk about uh, sex robots today, of course. No. What was everyone's favorite Huddle of the day and why? I went to see Claire Lomas. Um, she is an athlete who lost um, the use of two thirds of her body after a fall from a horse during um, an eventing day. And she has recovered partial use of her body thanks to technology uh, through an exoskeleton that allows her to quote-unquote walk and what was fascinating to hear from her aside of how incredible her resilience uh, to rebuild her life after the accident is which I think is a an innate human quality and I'd be keen to see how we replicate that in machines at some point Um, but from from her perspective it was I think a lot of the focus has been on the physical and the, the the visible when it comes to technology. So everyone says to her, well, you can you can walk. Clearly it's not in the same way as you did before the accident. Um, and she's completed marathons and the Great North Walk and tons of other events. But what she was saying is what the most important thing for me is, is the invisible things that people forget about when they think of my paralysis. Um, things like feeling, things like being able to control your bladder movements, all those basic things that aren't immediately there for someone who sees her in a wheelchair, but for her make a huge difference. And coming back to the walking piece, this technology may be able to help her take a step in the sense that she can put one foot in front of the others and through that move. However, it hasn't allowed her to recover the sense of feeling, the understanding of where her limbs are, uh, the understanding of what the texture of the floor feels like in her feet as she's moving along 
a path and her saying that that is even more important to enable her to walk uh, because obviously if you don't know where your legs are then how do you know where to place them next uh, was quite telling for me in terms of an image of where we are today with technology it's allowing us to do things that are visible that we think we understand but quite frankly the depth or anything that goes underneath that, that is the invisible, we still haven't comprehended. JP? I, th I think, um, I suppose, building on, on your experience uh, there, the huddle that was most interesting to me was um, actually something we did which takes this idea of using technology to, uh, to, to essentially give... So in the example you're talking about, the technology there was, was to, to replace lost skills, if you like. Um, but what we saw in some huddles today was where technology is trying to augment humanity or augment, augment our skills to make us more capable of doing things that we weren't naturally born to do. Um, and the, the one I was involved with was with a company called Biohacks um, who uh, basically took a microchip and, and put an NFC chip into the hand. Did you do that? Of, you didn't have it. Of Helen McRae. I didn't personally do this. <laughs> uh, Helen McRae, our, our CEO. Um, which at the moment has a fairly limited amount of capabilities. There's things like you know, using it as security passes, using it on travel cards, um, potentially using it as a sort of business card for people to, to scan. Um, but the very concept of using an implant to give us more capabilities than we were naturally born with, I think is quite a significant kind of uh, departure from where we've generally used technology up until now, which has been similar to the experience that you were talking about, which is about trying to replace lost skills if you like why didn't you get microchipped um well the issue for me i think is 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 at the moment it's a, a fairly permanent um act i mean you can take it out but it involves an incision in your skin to squeeze it out which is quite slightly unpleasant did Helen um, know this at the time i think she found out halfway <laughs> through so you know, she knows now um and i think Although the, the potential of it is quite, it's quite, I know, it's kind of guy I am. <laughs> um, although the potential's there, the, a lot of the actual infrastructure to make it happen isn't really here at the moment, and I don't really feel in a hurry to get it done. You know, I think mm -hmm. if it does become useful for, if, you know, for all of us, then it's easy to get it done at that point. You don't need to do it now. So it's a bit of a cop-out answer, I'm afraid. So when's Helen having the chip removed? Well, I mean. It's I guess we'll know forever. by the scar. Never. We'll know by the scar. Yeah, whenever and never. I guess she's actually not. just had her hand removed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she didn't realise you could just take the chip out. Yeah, unfortunately, it's easier that way. Yeah. Matt, um, I mostly went to huddles on sex robots. <laughs> to be to be quite honest, um, couldn't seem to get away from the things. The passion um, of yours. Or? You wanted some depth <laughs> in the topic, right? <laughs> I just didn't feel like I had enough information on where I could get hold of these things, um, but. Uh, no, I, I think probably the, the most interesting one for me was the Channel 4 one, the, 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 human, uh, the writers from Humans and the uh, director of the show were there. Um, and they were talking about how they made the show. Um, and I guess using that as a way of you know, telling stories about the future. Um, and what was really interesting about when they talked about that was that they've, when they made the show, <clears throat> they purposely decided to, although the, obviously the, the, what they call synths, which are the, the robots, which I can't say, um, are obviously of the future. The rest of the show is set in the present. So, you know, you're not in a kind of Blade Runner-esque sort of environment where everything's kind of distracting in the future. Everything else is exactly as we know it today, apart from the fact that you have these 
um, sex robots <laughs> in your home. Um, so, yeah, I found that really interesting. Um, the one thing I would say is I thought that the the overall tone of the day was quite negative about the future. So I kind of guess this, you know, I guess you look at this, this kind of... Um, the idea of humanity and technology coming together and you can look at it in two ways it's the end of humanity which is kind of I felt like I got that a lot from today mm. you know so you know no one's going to have a job you know truck drivers are going to not exist anymore because all the trucks are going to not that's not exactly the worst thing in the world right but but you know all of these jobs are not going to exist anymore and actually they may well be menial jobs but for some people they give them you know, them you know, a living they give them purpose they give them something to do every day and I think this kind of fairly dystopian sort of view of the world which is you know the machines are going to do everything um that they're capable of doing and 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 when you really think about it a lot of processes are kind of repetitive and logical and therefore machines can probably do them much more effectively and efficiently than we can so there wasn't an awful lot of chat about the upside right Mm. so you know i think you just touched on it there jeremy Mm. in terms of you know augmenting us as human beings so that we can you know realize powers we don't can't even imagine we have now is it is potentially a more um positive view on the future but i didn't hear a lot of that today so i think maybe i went to the wrong huddle so maybe got a bit obsessed by the sex i think it was jeremy's fault because you know it was his idea to name it post-human right rather than plus human that could have brought a a bit of more of a positive angle to it it's the journey and his obsession with sex robots she hasn't told his wife about it Unless she's listening, of course. She won't be listening. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, did, I did actually, to that point though, um, there was a fantastic column this morning by um, a guy called uh, Azim Azar, who writes The Exponential View, which is a fantastic newsletter. If you don't subscribe, I'd highly recommend it. Um, Do you have commission for that? I don't know. Um, and uh, yeah, he was talking about a theory actually, which is not actually his um, necessarily, but it's been talked about a lot, which is about whether we get this distinction between the immortals, so people who are augmented by by humanity and, and in all likelihood are basically people who are already rich today and can afford the first wave of all this kind of augmentation to make themselves more powerful and their kids more successful and so on. So the distinction between the immortals and what might become the useless class, so the mm. phrases, the phrases um, created by Yuval Harari, who wrote Homo Deus, which is very much kind of the inspiration for, for, for the, um, the theme today. Um, and one of the sort of more positive ways out of this situation um, is is for well, one of two things. One is the idea of universal basic income and a massive redistribution of the benefits of productivity away from the immortals who own the capital and have become more enhanced towards the useless, useless classes to be able to carry out meaningful activities but be supported by a certain level of, of income. And then the other... Um, theory that people talk about is is, is called the Star Trek um, scenario which is where because of things like exponential growth um, and other things like human genome editing becoming increasingly cheap uh, we have an abundance of of basically stuff and so actually you don't need to actually pay for anything anymore Um, AI and the the fruits of AI have actually been spread to everyone um, because of um, this world of abundance so there is, posi- there is a sort of pos- positive scenario for the future. It's not necessarily all dystopian. But who controls that, though, in that future? Because for me, this is the one thing that I took from today, right? And, and in, in my Loving Robots chat, one of the interesting things, you had 
two female professors that are um, at the top of, of the field providing commentary here and, and, and actually recognizing that a lot of these systems are being developed mostly by men mm. of a certain socioeconomic uh, yeah. background with a certain type of education <clears throat> with a very specific point of view. Mm -hmm. And the danger in that is in perpetuating and scaling bias to a degree that we have never seen before. Mm -hmm. And so for me, what is interesting about this whole debate is how do you create a more diverse point of view when you're drafting those algorithms to ensure that that bias isn't perpetuated as aggressively as we potentially risk it to be. And I'm not seeing a lot of answers around that. Mm -hmm. and, and I get your point around the positive side of things, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, someone is controlling that supply. Mm -hmm. And that person in control of that supply is in power. And so I just think right now, the power structures, if there's anything that's shifting significantly in our world, is the power structure. Because we're going away from nations into these corporates mm -hmm. that actually hold more power than many of those nations put mm -hmm. together. And so what is the responsibility in terms of earning that power? And how do you ensure that they wield that responsibly? I'm not sure we've gotten to that yet. That's what keeps me up at night. Well, I think you're right. I mean, you need greater and stronger democratic oversight of, of the corporations. And unfortunately, we, we seem to be leaving the EU at just a time when actually a block of that size potentially has some capability to do some sort of fight back, if you like, against the power of, um, of the tech companies. But there needs to be greater, certainly, transparency in terms of how algorithms are written. <coughs> Um, to deal with some of those issues. And in fact, DeepMind and Fenos, if you look at what DeepMind have done with, um, in terms of what they're doing around health, they've got, had problems in the past with some of the stuff they did around NHS data. Well, actually, it was the Royal Free Hospital who got more in trouble than them. But anyway, as a result of that, they set up a, an ethics board and, invite, and invited people to scrutinise what they're doing in terms of some of their algorithms. So I think you know, there are mechanisms that are hopefully available and can be deployed. But it is an issue for sure. And one hopefully which gets resolved quickly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that sounded flippant and I didn't mean it to. Um, as a wrap-up then, um, what's the kind of one thought or one idea that each of you will take away from, from Huddle this year? Um, I guess for me... It's it's interesting because you, you, get, all, you get a lot of these sort of sort of sci-fi-esque views of the future but really when I think about it humans and machines are going to exist together in some way and I, and I genuinely believe that they can coexist in a very positive way right that's my optimistic view on the future obviously sex robots let's just put sex robots to one side <laughs> for a minute and talk about something else but um, and, and I guess the thing for me is just humans recognizing what they're really good at Okay, and, and machine and, and recognizing what machines are really good at, and and trying to focus um, on those things. So I think a lot of the time, especially in media, um, we get so sucked into the technology and the systems, and we actually just want people to be more like systems and more like the technology, and more like computers. <laughs> so actually, people don't want to be like that. It's not natural. Okay, so. Um, it's not something that brings a huge amount of satisfaction to the, the majority of people. Um, so I think humans recognizing what they're good at, you know, intuition, instinct, empathy, and using that more 
um, and recognizing machines what they're good at, which is automation analysis, etc. And and bringing those things together can be incredibly powerful. So yes, you know, machines might take on human characteristics, and humans might use technology in ways to make them uh, smarter, more powerful, more you know, more agile, etc. Uh, but recognizing that can be a really positive partnership, and I think that would be the, you know, the message that we should take forward. Really, um, I'm not a big fan of the sort of dystopian view, where the machines take over and we just get really fat, <laughs> and then go live on Mars or something. Because um, I've seen The Martian, and frankly, <laughs> not like there's much to do up there. So <laughs> rather That's stay here. Um, we officially rule that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. I might get sort of marooned on a ship full of sex robots. Oh no, what am I going to do? Um, anyway. Sounds like you might from, quite like that. From, yeah, exactly. My fantasies aside, um, I think we need to take the optimistic view. Jeremy? I think, I think um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess balance is a kind of a word that springs to mind about what we should be striving for. I mean, there's, there's a tendency, I think, because of our enthusiasm for the potential of a lot of this technology to, to sort of race after it um, and get very excited by all the things that could be automated and, and how how incredible a lot of that is um, but one of the themes that as I say that I've, I've sort of come across I guess from talking to a lot of consumers through the research we do is about trying to balance the benefits of, of automation which for most people are around convenience actually so just doing things quicker, faster, easier whatever it might be um, trying to balance that with a, with a feeling of control because I think I think that people feel generally in society actually at the moment you mentioned Brexit again that's that was the lack of the feeling of being out of control not having control over your life was a big driver of Brexit and I think there is a danger that we're moving with more and more automation to a world in which people feel they have even less control so I guess what I'm trying to say is that we need to try and strive for a balance when we look to try and develop some of these services between helping people have a more convenient service or interaction, which might mean more automation, but still giving them the mechanisms to feel in control over what's happening uh, and not feel like that they're at the, kind of the mercy of, of the machine, if you like. That's actually a sore point for me because I, I'm moving house at the moment and trying to find a... Rem- going off on a tangent here, but bear with me. But trying to find a removal company... And I wanted to ask them quite a simple question before I then got a quote. And several removal companies in a row make you fill out a tedious online form before they will then provide you with any information. Whereas the removal company I'm going with, I rang them, they answered on the first ring, answered my question, and now I'm going with them. So because they facilitated the human interaction straight away, rather than insisting you go through some automated process, they've ultimately got my very valuable business. Actually, not very valuable. The point I'm making is good that for them. good for them. But the point I'm making is that I agree with you. There's still a very important place for human interaction, mm. and that people don't necessarily like being channeled into mm. means of communication that don't work for them. Ruth, calling bullshit is really important. A lot of these conversations are being had by a handful of people, uh, and we need to open up the dialogue for different points of view. And the only way we're going to do that is if we start speaking about it in plain English. A lot of the things are not as complicated as we make them seem. Um, we hide behind the jargon and we need to stop that. So I think for me, what I liked about today is that a lot of these themes were very complex, but they were discussed in a way that made it accessible to anyone in the room, regardless of background. 
or experience. And I think we need to do more of that. So insofar as that goes, I think job well done. Very good. I very much agree. I think it's definitely been a theme of today that um, we've discussed ideas and the future. And those ideas have certainly been challenging, even scary at times. But ultimately, it's the confrontation and debate of those ideas, no matter how scary or challenging they are, that makes Huddle what it is. Ultimately, we want to um, bring those into an open forum to this point where people can discuss them in an easy and equal way. And we believe that we've done that and we'll continue to. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to this podcast, which is brought to you by Acast. Like you, millions of people enjoy podcasts every week. Acast works with thousands of amazing shows, reaching the most engaged, loyal and desirable audiences on demand. For more information about advertising, sponsorship and branded content opportunities for your business, contact us using sponsor at acast.com.